Thank you, Jackie. I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. Now we're going to be looking at something very important this morning, and that is something that the Pharisees were presenting to Jesus, and the scribes, of course, Pharisees and scribes, but something, something that they were very familiar with, something that they were very involved with, and that was tradition. But not only are they very involved in tradition, very familiar with tradition, we are also, so today, tradition versus Holy Scripture. That's what we're going to be talking about. Middle of Matthew's Gospel, it helps us focus on what is coming. And what is coming? The great crisis, the great event, which is the event of the atonement. And that will be happening in Jerusalem. Where are these scribes and Pharisees from? Jerusalem. They were sent out as a delegated group to come and confront Jesus. So it says in chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, Then, I want you to look at the word then, some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying. The word then is it's not intended to show sequence as much as it is general indication of continuation of the growing conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. It's to show that continuation of that conflict. Some Pharisees and scribes came from Jerusalem to confront Jesus about ignoring the traditional, and I want you to underline that word, traditional, it's so very important, the traditional teaching about washing hands before meals. It says, some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem saying, why do your disciples transgress the tradition? Did they say transgress the law? No. They said transgress the tradition. Of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. That's significant that Pharisees and scribes came all the way from Jerusalem. And they were probably an official inquiry group stemming from what had earlier been happening because the conflicts are beginning to increase and intensify. So their purpose was to confront and challenge Jesus. Ronald Reagan used to say, the scariest words in the English language were these, I am from the government and I am here to help you. <laughs> Headquarters often do not have a very good reputation, do they? And when someone from headquarters is sent down, whether to investigate, whether to analyze, whether to reprimand, whether to correct, or do something else, it doesn't usually look too good. And in the Jewish mentality of the day, the, the Jerusalem represented that type of headquarters. Why? Because that's where the temple was. That was where the sacrifices were offered. That was where worship, the center of Jewish worship was. That was where uh, the center of Jewish authority was. And from Jerusalem comes the scribes and Pharisees, it says. Jerusalem was where Jesus was headed, but the scribes and the Pharisees were coming to Jesus as 
a time of crisis where it would intensify the climactic point. That is Jerusalem, the place of atonement. And we've got to remember, this should be a key to the disciples in letting them know, hey, something is ahead for them. But Because why? Because here are, is a represented group coming out to confront Jesus. But we've got to remember that the, the disciples were Galileans and uh, their life was framed by an, a Galilean understanding. They have not perceived yet the great crisis uh, that is to occur in Jerusalem. And we have the whole Bible. They don't at this time. And so in turn, one of the hints we think should have been this, but they were from a different upbringing. They had different thoughts going on in their mind. They were not truly enlightened with everything that was about to occur. But Matthew 15, them coming from the headquarters from Jerusalem, lets us know that there is a confrontation and a challenge that will be there. So the first thing that we want to look at is the confrontation of these religious leaders regarding tradition in verses 1 and 2. And we need to understand something about the Pharisees and scribes before continuing. This is so very important. When you see these two mentioned together, and you do often, it doesn't mean that they're the same, one and the same group. It does not mean that it's just one group coming. Matter of fact, they are not the same. You see, they will at times come together with a common purpose, even with the Sadducees, to get, uh, try to get accomplished what they want accomplished, but they are two different groups. You, the Pharisees, you can put this down, were the holiness sect. Now, what do I mean by that? They did not consider themselves legalists like we see them. They considered themselves those who went beyond the law. They were sacrificial. They went above and beyond the law in order to show and prove their righteousness. And if the law demanded one offering, what would they do? They would offer two. They would go beyond it. If it uh, demanded one tithe, they would go Two, beyond that, if it were uh, required four prayers a day to be offered, they would give six. If it, you know, if it was doing A, they would also, I mean, always go beyond that and do B. Why? They were seeking, and this is so very important, this is why they're a holiness sect. They were seeking to prove their own righteousness. Now, people, we know, we have the Word of God. Can you prove your own righteousness? No. There's none righteous. No, not one. Doesn't, doesn't the Bible tell us that? And so we can't work our way into heaven. There's no way possible. The only way that we can have the righteousness that we deserve or, or that we don't deserve is by receiving Christ as our Savior. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become what? The righteousness of God, how? In Christ Jesus. And so in turn, the Pharisees, though, they did not understand that. They didn't care to understand it, matter of fact, because they didn't like grace. Why did they not like grace? Because it 
was a shortcut they figured for them. So they wanted to be worthy of having their sins forgiven. Now the other group, the scribes, they would be described to us in our day and time as attorneys. In other words, let's look at the Roman Catholic Church. It operates by what is called the what law? The canon law. Now the legislation and the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church has canon lawyers which operate within the magisterial teaching of the Roman Catholic uh, beliefs. And so they were to test if the proposal was to be it was lawful or unlawful. These this is similar to what the scribes were. They were canon lawyers of Judaism. In other words, they were to, number one, teach the law in written form and to keep it in terms of what was judicated. Now, this is so very important. Laws are always changing, aren't they? At least, not, I'm, I'm not talking about the Word of God, but I'm talking about laws of our land, aren't they? The government laws. Even uh, as if we go to a social club, the, the laws or the principles or the teaching of that, it's, it's always changing. It's always uh, developing, if you will. And so that's why the scribes, the same thing was with them, with the traditions. They were expansions. They were called uh, expansions of the law in the sense that they were looked at as the same as law, even though they had made them, but they were to protect the law. And so they just added on and added on and added on to it to try and protect themselves and the law. The scribes were the ones who kept the records. They watched very closely to see how matters were being handled relating to the laws. So the, fives and, uh, the, the Pharisees and the uh, scribes coming to Jerusalem, that, that lets us know that there is confrontation on its way. Verse 2 asks a question, to G, uh, they ask a question to Jesus, Why do you disciples transgress the tradition of the elders, for they do not wash their hands when they eat? Now, what do we think of when we think of washing our hands? Well, today in our culture, we, we think of germs. It's a hygienic thing. That's not what was going on there. You see, it wasn't cutting down on the possibility of germs that he, they're talking about here. The question dealt with ceremonial washing. But the thing about ceremonial washing had been extended out. In other words, extrapolated. The Pharisees had extrapolated it. They had extrapolated it to only, not only to themselves, doing this, doing that, doing this, doing that, but where it belonged to the priest, and it was ceremonially for the priest, not for the general public, they had you know, brought it over not only to themselves, but also to the people. You've got to wash your hands before you do this, do that, you know. And so it was just constantly being extrapolated. There was a great body of teaching by them that had gradually been added to the teaching of the law of Moses. And it contained the exposition of the important text of the law that was known as the Mishnah. And it was also in the Jamara, 
and not those two were added together and put in the Talmuds. And it was included in there. So first the scribes and the Pharisees indirectly accused Jesus of wrong by accusing his disciples, not him, his disciples of not washing uh, their hands before they ate. Second, they're accusing disciples of breaking the tradition and not the law. The law may say, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Well, the oral traditions listed specific rules to fulfill that commandment. They went that step further to protect it. Well, that's just general. To make sure we don't, you know, break it, you can't do this. What else can we do? Y'all come together and let's get together and get our heads together. You, you can't do that. Well, if you can't do that, then that means you can't do this. And it just kept on and kept on and kept on. You see, the Jews were very traditional people. But like them, our culture is also very traditional, isn't it? I mean, you think about it. Did you ever think about where we get the thing about our meals, where it came from? Does anybody know? Well, you put your spoon and your knife and your fork on different sides, don't you? That's proper. That's tradition. Where did it come from? You put your napkin on one side, not the other. You put your drink in a certain place. When you eat, what do you do? Well... You eat usually your salad first, if you have soup, soup first, and then your main course, and then your dessert. Now, I know some of you turn that around today, but that's, you know, that's, that's the proper way. If you go to some formal, what do you do? Formal event, you dress up, usually in a tux, if it's really formal. And the, uh, the, the girl, she, she dresses in a formal. You go to a dance or you go to a, a get-together, uh, you, you do this. And, and so we have all these traditions. What about when you get married? Oh, man, can't traditions really be a bummer for marriage? Well, I always ate Thanksgiving at noontime. That's when my parents did it. Well, no, I eat it in the evening. Well, which one are we going to do? Or Christmas. Well, we always open our gifts up Christmas Eve. No, we waited Christmas morning. No, we can't do that. We'll be breaking the tradition. And boy, it has caused problems sometimes, hasn't it? It really has. But I want to ask you something. Will any of those things, any of our traditions, if not done and passed on directly like we said that they should be, will they change the course of the earth? Will they change the rotation of the earth? Will they blacken the moon or the sun? Would the tide stop coming in or going out? How about flowers? Will they stop blooming if we stop doing tradition the way that we normally do? 
You see, tradition are basically patterns which have become familiar to us. And because they are familiar to us, we are comfortable with them, and so we want to pass them on. Now, as far as knowing where they came from, we may not ever know where they came from. Most tradition is like what I described. It doesn't matter whether, you know, it's continued on or not. Heaven or hell is not hanging in the balance of whether Thanksgiving meal is at noon or in the evening. When tradition, and this is what I'm, I want you to understand, and this is what happened with them. When tradition takes on the role of competing with the gospel of God, we have a major problem. Let me repeat that. When tradition takes on the role of competing with the gospel of God, then we have a major problem. Do you know that's why the Reformation in the 16th century started? Sola Scripture, getting back to making sure that what we did didn't override Scripture. Tradition. If we are not careful, we'll put tradition above or on the same level of Scripture. So, for one thing, when you say you will not accept any tradition, though, and this is, you need to take heed to this, that becomes a tradition. So don't say, well, let's do away with tradition. You can't do it. Because when you do it, you're starting a tradition. Everything we do is culminated into our experience of tradition. But we must watch so that tradition does not become that seductive substitute for the gospel. John Wesley divided it into scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And he said it was like that. All four of them are contained. But he said, you better not have the other three without scripture. You better relate all three of them to the scripture. And tradition is important. For our experiences and our tradition, you know, they are passed on if they're looked at with the right motive and the right reason and placed in the right place. Sesterton said this about it. Tradition is important because through tradition, dead people speak. It's not that tradition isn't important. It's where we put it. And if it competes with the scripture. And if we put it above scripture. Well, I've always done this. Well, what does the Bible say about that? Well, I don't care what the Bible says about it. Ah, it's always been done that way. You see, the dead have a vote, he says. And so, as we think about it, we need to, be, we need to realize that there are traditions that are very important to us that we do not want to lose. Even traditions that go beyond the scripture, if you will. Now, is Christmas something that's taught in the Bible? A festival that we're to observe? 
A, yes, B, no. But is, is, Christ, is uh, Christmas, has tradition got out of hand there as far as what we think it started as and what it is now? Does that mean that Christmas is bad, though? No. You know, there's a lot of wrong that can come from what we celebrate Christmas for and as. But there's a lot of good that, if we think about it, that is celebrated every year, isn't it? That's when we celebrate the Incarnation. And people... Is that the date that Jesus was born? But we celebrate it and there's nothing wrong in us celebrating it. And we're getting out a message, aren't we? Man, we're getting out a message. You see, a lot of traditions, we don't even know where they came from. We, didn't, we don't even know why they came about. But a lot of them have been abused over the years, but there's a lot of good from some of these traditions that we, we should keep. But they should never get to the point where they compete with the gospel. When we start claiming tradition, and we have people before, well, I know that's in the Bible. Well, let's see where it's in the Bible. Well, I know it's in the Bible. I was always taught that. doesn't mean that it's been in the Bible. But it doesn't mean that the principle is not there and we should go to the Word of God and find out and teach our young people. Teach our children. Teach our adults. This is tradition. Is there anything wrong with that tradition? No. But... It should not be placed on the same level as Scripture. Nor are above Scripture. But there's certain principles, there's certain truths that are out of that, like Christmas. We don't celebrate St. Nicholas going from house to house delivering gifts. As Christians, that may be involved with the kids, but... Our primary purpose is what? To celebrate it as far as the incarnation. And that's the way we've looked at it. So yes, Christian can have, take on different traditions, but this is the primary one that we want to get the word out about. And there's a principle there that comes that relates to what we have thought of that tradition as so we need to start doing that and then Jesus goes on and he says hey let me tell you why this is so you say that washing makes you impure you're looking at the outside the cleansing of the hands I want to tell you it's from the heart that's basically what he's telling them it's from the heart that counts. And so he, he tells these disciples here, 
his disciples and he tells them, he says, uh, and after he called the multitude to, the, to him, he said to them, hear and understand, not what enters into the mouth defiles a man, in verse 11, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles a man. In other words, our heart, we are depraved, aren't we? We're fallen individuals. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But, he says, you're looking at the heart. I mean, the outside. And you're judging a person by just what he does or what he doesn't do. He says, but I'm judging his actions by what's in the heart. And so, he, you know, he, he goes on and, and he says, Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? Kind of sounds like what happened over in John chapter 6. He says, Is anybody offended by this? When he said that he was bread of life and that they must eat, from, eat of him to be born again. He says, uh, But... He answered and said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. What does, it talk, what does that uh, sound like? Sounds like the parable of wheat and the tear, doesn't it? He's, he's letting them know that, hey, their hearts are wrong and they're misleading you with their teaching. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. In other words, make sure that the truth has set you free, not tradition. Peter answered and said to him, explain the parable to us. He says, are you still lacking in understanding, Peter? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? In other words, hey, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? It's gone. It comes in and goes out. But the things that proceed out of the mouth that come from the heart and those are those that defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. He's basically telling us. He's saying, hey, you need to understand that it requires the right heart. Do you have the right heart? Does, do the Pharisees and the scribes have the right heart? That's what is required to have or to be a part of the kingdom of God. So he's letting them know when tradition takes on the role of competing with the gospel of God, then that's when you have a major problem. They have a major problem, the Pharisees. Traditions and experiences should continually be tested by the Word of God. Test them with what God says, with the law. Not with the traditions of men, but with the law. And then the Word of God should always be supreme over traditions. You want to be pure and clean, then you've got to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's it. No other way. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. 
So traditions are not necessarily bad, are they? But it's what we do with those traditions. They can become idols to us if we're not careful. Let's bow our heads and pray.